Friends, come with me on a field trip of sorts to Europe. Just over 200 years ago on this night. As we walk through the streets of the village, we sense viscerally how people are still reeling from the war. We see the pained look in their eyes, the gaze of those who have weathered far too much grief in too short a time. The year is 1818, as we look around in Oberndorf bei Salzburg in Austria. The Napoleonic Wars finally ended two years ago, but life is still hard. Food is in short supply. We hear how people are weary, and worry is no stranger, as security feels tenuous at best. Two years earlier, a young priest by the name of Joseph Moore wrote a poem commemorating the end of violence. And then he had set it aside. But just as Christmas was approaching this year, the Salzach River flooded, filling the church and rendering the organ unusable. This is when Joseph picks up his poem again. I imagine he is desperate to offer his congregation something beautiful, something that sounds like hope. And so, as the story goes, it is on this day, Christmas Eve, that he asks Franz Xaver Gruber, a local schoolmaster and musician, to write a melody for the poem on the guitar. It seems like a tall request, maybe even an impossible one, given the timeline. But a few hours later, the song is sung for the first time in that little church. It is cold and damp, the people's faces lit by flickering candles and oil lamps, but the song rings out. We hear the small congregation sing. Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Christmas, I have come to believe, very rarely goes as planned. Life is stressful, things are broken, it's a mess. Christmas did not go as planned in Austria in 1818, and it certainly did not unfold as they imagined on that first Christmas. It is so easy, so tempting to hear the first part of the nativity story through the lens of the ending. I know how it turns out. And so I anticipate the joy and wonder and grace of this story right from the opening words. I hear that in those days a decree went out, 
And my heart leaps forward to the shepherds and the angels and this incredible holy family huddled together in awe. But I don't think that's how they lived it out. The decree that went out was a tool of the empire, angling to count everyone, not because these people particularly mattered to the emperor, but because he used this census to tax them as a tool of economic oppression. Their taxes did not so much create schools and libraries and other public goods. Their hard-earned money lined the pockets of the powerful at the expense of the poor. And everyone had to take part. And it's far more than that. This story, especially from Mary's perspective, but also from Joseph's, is risky. The way forward looks ominous. It is not most likely going to turn out well, given all they've seen in their lives. In that time and place, to be pregnant and not married, even, even if she lives, given that uh, she could be stoned for this, even if she lives, it, it seems like a good bet that their families will turn them away to preserve their own honor. Whether they stay together or not, Mary and Joseph may suspect that they will be finding the way forward on their own. It's hardly a hopeful scene as they prepare to welcome this child. And this is the scene where the gift comes. Into fear and heartbreak and turmoil, and very simply, into the unknown. We do nothing to earn this gift. It's not about whether we've been good or bad or what we deserve. It's not about how clever or productive we are. It is a gift. The gift of God among us, choosing to come and discover what it is to be human from the inside out, to know us even more fully in this embodied way. It is this gift of utter grace, God walking among us, offering us healing and nourishment and palpable wisdom. It is the gift of loving us, even in and through and beyond the pain of human death. This is the unlikely gift that arrives that night so long ago. And it is the gift that arrives this night, right now. Mary and Joseph cannot have expected it, not fully, not even with the warning given them by an angel. And so it is a gift that is received surrounded by the surprising warmth of animals gathered in close, settling into the cushion of hay underneath, feeling relief as kin quickly switch gears into hosting this new family with food and care and love. This place of fear and brokenness and uncertainty is where the gift comes still. 
This is where the gift arrives on this holy night. Now, once again, even and especially this year. The gift of the Incarnation comes to you, wherever you are. No matter how alone, no matter how separated from the life you thought you'd be living right now. The gift comes. God among us and living this fraught life right alongside us. And the gift comes through in your life, multiplied in your passion and your wisdom and your love for the world. This love is called forth from us, no matter the circumstances. And so it was for Franz Guber, this Musician, so many of us can thank for the way we have for years and years come more deeply into the heart of Christmas. This song was born of two people's exhausted disappointment, harnessed still and ever towards hope. And the heartbreak of that night, the flooded church and the broken organ and the the residual sorrow after years of war, all this gave way to the wonder and beauty of this song. The song did not negate the pain, but it is where the song arrived. Friends, it may feel like our backs are against the wall this Christmas, for all the reasons of the pandemic. The heartbreak and exhaustion and loneliness and worry, these are real. And this is where God comes again, where the incarnate one enters into our lives and our hearts. The gift still comes receiving and living with this gift of God among us may be nothing like what we planned for. We may not be able to sing shoulder to shoulder this night, but still we sing. Glories stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing Alleluia. Christ, the Savior, is born. 